Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with the Professor, and we've got a chance to uh, kind of go into a lot of different subjects right now. Robert Clemson from the Washington Post, who I'm proud to say I'm a teammate of after all these years, is joining us here on Schooled. And I guess the, the big thing is, I mean, here it is, uh, we are having the Eli Manning retirement. And, of course, I know uh, coming up uh, five years from now, we're going to be talking about uh, is Eli a Hall of Famer and what's quarterbacks in there for Hall of Fame type of stuff. What, what, what's your big feeling as far as, okay, where do Super Bowls attach to quarterbacks and what that means as far as getting them into the Hall of Fame? Phil Simms won two Super Bowls, hasn't made it in. I mean, you have other quarterbacks who have been there that haven't been to Super Bowls but have made it in. And here's Eli that's sitting there uh, with uh, a 500 record, uh, two Super Bowl wins, both over Tom Brady and, uh, you know, you know, he'll be discussed five years from now. Yeah. You know, um, I don't vote on uh, uh, for the Hall of Fame, so I have to kind of put that out there up yeah. front, and I probably will never vote for the Hall of Fame. And, and I think you do, right? 30 years, yeah. This will be my 30th year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so this is something you're really going to have to think about and something that I can just kind of muse about on podcast. Um, but I think... You make a mistake. I think people make a mistake when they say, okay, well, if Eli deserves to get in, why not Phil Simms? If Eli deserves to get in, why not Jim Plunkett? And the issue is that you're talking about two very distinct eras of football, and the thing that demarcates them the most uh, and the clearest is the impact of the quarterback and the responsibility of the quarterback and the burden that's on the quarterback, especially in the playoffs and in these late-game situations. Um, and Eli stepped up in the biggest moments. And I think another thing that people underestimate is just how difficult it is to win one Super Bowl, let alone two, and two Super Bowl MVPs. I mean, that, that's, that's crazy to me to say that he was an average quarterback when you look at the postseason record, the record of beating the very best teams that they, that they went up against. I mean, you just knew that an Eli Manning quarterback team, for the better part of 15 years, was going to be relevant and had a chance to go win it all, and they did it twice. And and I think, personally, if I were voting, that would be a big factor for me. Yeah, I mean, because you're you're right about that. Because I mean, you know, even watched it with Aaron Rodgers. Is that uh, you know, here's one of the best quarterbacks to to play the game. I mean, top ten probably all time. And clearly, Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Hall of Famer once he retires, five years after he retires. But you know, you you now see the difficulty of uh, you get you can get to the Super Bowl, but then how hard it is to get back, and then if you get there, how hard it is. You're right to win. Yeah, and and. In one of those Super Bowls, they beat a team that hadn't lost yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they they beat arguably a top five um, team in the history of the NFL. If the Patriots had won that game, we we'd be having a conversation for the next twenty years about them being the best team that ever put it out there. And, and instead, Eli Manning gets the job done late and knocks these guys off. I mean, it's one of the greatest moments in Super Bowl history. 
Well, and that's the thing, I think, in, in particular, like, for example, you're looking not just at the quarterback, but you're also looking at the coach. I mean, here it is, you know, Kansas City is going to be up against the San Francisco team, and you got Andy Reid right now, who's been, you know, to the playoffs 14 years, has not won a Super Bowl, you know, now saying that maybe arguably he's the best coach that's never won a Super Bowl, but of course, uh, he gets in, he's got Patrick Mahomes, you figure, I mean, I look at Patrick Mahomes as a quarterback, it's going to be the Super Bowl many, many times, because I think he's that good, but you can't get guarantee it and uh you're right it's like if he doesn't win this game kansas city and patrick mahomes i mean i figure they'll be back but you have no guarantee no guarantee i mean 32 teams and with the impact of injuries you can't create a super team like you can in the nba regardless of whether you have a superhuman quarterback um so you know all of these opportunities you cherish them and i think the mistake that a lot of coaches make is they treat this week like it's different, like they need to do something differently because there is this enormous weight. And I remember talking to Dan Quinn about having a conversation with Sean McVay before the Rams went up against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And Dan Quinn's number one advice to him was, as much as your instincts are telling you not to, because these opportunities are so rare, treat it like any other week. Uh, and I imagine that's uh, advice that a lot of Super Bowl coaches get, but it, it's just so difficult to execute. Yeah, I know, and of course, I, you learned that from uh, Pete Carroll with the two Super Bowls that he's been to uh, here in Seattle, and that's uh, you know the challenge because I know that uh, you know Dan being real sharp about that. I mean, he planned everything pretty much the same way that Pete Carroll did, and that's something that you have to try to do to try to make it more of a normal game because if you try to overdo it, then things can go wrong. And I think that uh, fortunately, I think most coaches now understand that because you know you understand okay you got a two-week window to try to get everything ready i mean first off the first thing you have to do is make sure that you know every player has all the family stuff taken care of in the first couple days and then you try to get through the normal week or so of practice because if you do it any different then you're really going to be thrown off because again it is a different environment but you want to get everything done as quickly as possible in the early part so it does come out almost normal it's it's always funny to kind of go to these press availabilities at the Super Bowl and you get the feeling that the players would like to be anywhere else but in some hotel ballroom sitting around while reporters from 30 different countries are, are coming around asking, the, you know, the, the most bizarre or what must feel like the most bizarre off-the-wall questions to you when, when all you're trying to concentrate on is the 60 minutes on Sunday. Yeah. Well, and that's the one thing. It's like, uh, and I know that uh, you, you shouldn't talk about dynasties and stuff like that, but there's certainly that uh, way. And, you know, things are so askew in the NFL in the standpoint that, uh, I mean, here it is. You've got the uh, New England Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You know, they've been to nine Super Bowls. And, of course, you've got an AFC that now with Patrick Mahomes going in, this is the first time since, what, 2003, a quarterback that's not in that top four group. It went Joe Flacco and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and, uh, you know, four quarterbacks, Ben Roethlisberger, those are the four quarterbacks that have been dominating conference championships in the AFC, and now you have the first new wave of getting in and how tough that is because it's like, well, geez, in, in the AFC, this guy didn't win the Super Bowl and this quarterback didn't win the Super Bowl. Well, so much of that's because, you know, it's all been Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Yeah, I mean, if you if you had to bet on it, would you rule out Roethlisberger returning to that level? I still think he can. 
I mean, because again, we've seen now the longevity of all these quarterbacks and, you know, it's an elbow injury. So that may affect his throwing, but uh, I, I think he can, because I think the one thing that's going to be in his favor is that uh, he's probably got one of the most talented defenses that he's been in since, you know, getting into the league in 2004. I mean, you know, they come back and they make the Minka Fitzpatrick trade and uh, they were like, what, one and four, one and three or whatever their record was. And right. they come back and they make that trade and they basically didn't have anything at quarterback. Mason Rudolph didn't seem to work out. You know, Duck Hodges didn't seem to work out. But yet, you know, they've got a real talented defense. And so, you know, where they've always had with Ben expecting 30 points a game, if he scores 25 and your defense plays well, then they have a chance to bounce back. Yeah. I think you're probably going to look back on this era and, and wonder, you know, what kind of damage uh, an Aaron Rodgers could have done later in his career if they didn't have consistently poor defensive performances in the playoffs. I mean, the graphic that, that stuck out to me was all the points scored against them in, the, in his career playoff exits. I mean, there was, there was scarcely a game where they didn't give up 40. Yeah, and that's of course, and then, of course, then I love the fact that it's like, okay, so we go back into uh, the 70s pretty much, and we see an offense that ran the ball to a point where Jimmy Garoppolo was only asked to throw eight passes in the game. And uh, you're thinking, okay, why was that? Was that the intent? No, it wasn't the intent. It was the fact that Mike Pettin and the defense didn't make any adjustments, and so it's like how Shanahan can just run the ball like he did. Right, right. I, I've, I've been so impressed with Shanahan and the play calling and, uh, the the one thing that's great about the NFL is that there's always a, a whiz kid every year who gets replaced. I mean, you, we were having this conversation about how innovative Sean McVay was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Sean McVay got any less innovative. It's just that all these pieces came together in one season for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Well, and that's the thing I think is kind of I'm I'm interested to see where this really stands is that, uh, you know, now we've seen two teams in the last two years that went to the Super Bowl. I mean, New England last year, you know, they got heavy on a two back offense, right, where it was kind of like old school back in the 70s. And then, of course, now you have the 49ers who are a good running team with the best run calling coach in football, Kyle Shanahan, you know, running the ball like he has and taking it. It's like, I wonder, big picture, where does that fit the running game in? You know, each year, particularly in the last couple of years, I mean, you got seven, maybe eight teams in the top 11 rushing that have made the playoffs. And now if you can rush the football, it's now it shows the importance. And the one thing I think you saw from last year's Super Bowl, if you take a away the run like the Patriots did and like they did late in December early in December and just take away the run with Todd Gurley kind of falling down I mean you know the the Rams offense is not the same yeah I, I think the key to it is you, you really can't run this sort of offense without versatile players at fullback and tight end um, if you don't have guys who you know frighten the other team as receivers as well as blockers then you become really one-dimensional and and i think that's kind of an underrated part of both those teams offenses that you just mentioned you know the patriots from last year and and the 49ers from this year is that the play action can be so effective because you have you know these world-class fullbacks and and tight ends um, who can threaten you in, in several different facets of the game I don't know that you'll ever see a team go back to, you know, we just pound the ball and, you know, our big plays don't necessarily have to come off of play action. 
Yeah. How did you look at what uh, Tennessee did? I mean, they got off to the two and four start. Then, of course, at uh, that point, I mean, Ryan Tannehill you know, starts to take over. He be- he was the comeback player of the year. But clearly, you know, their key was Derrick Henry and running the football. I mean, where do you kind of look at them in the kind of the bigger picture for immediate and then in the future? You know, I, I think a lot of it depends on who they end up getting to play quarterback long term. And I, I think Tannehill looked really great. But I don't know if that's sustainable. Um, I, their offensive line has been fantastic. They've drafted really well there. They've spent their money smartly there. Um, but I, I think that, like with any team, I mean, in, in post two thousand five, it all ma- it all depends on who you invest on in at the quarterback position. So that's gonna I think that's gonna be their priority for the next two years is, is figuring that out. But I think they're in really good hands with with Mike Rabel. You know, I. I Obviously, we travel around training camps, and the last time I did it was last season. I probably won't do it this season, but you know, you get a feel for which coaches are really well liked by players in the locker room. And, and when you bring up the head coach's name to a guy, you know his immediate reaction and, and and kind of the kind of the stories he tells. I don't remember being in a locker room where the head coach was more liked than in Tennessee, and I think there's just so much respect for what Vrabel did in his career and then the level of preparation that he brings to it and and, and enthusiasm that he brings to it every day. I, I think they're in really good hands. Yeah. I would still imagine that they're probably going to go ahead and uh, you know keep Tannehill at the quarterback position because I think the one thing it's uh, you know figuring they'd have to do something long term with uh, Derrick Henry is that uh, you know he's a good game manager and of course good enough to get him in but and of course we're we're going through one of the most interesting off seasons uh, with quarterbacks because again we may now see and I'll throw this one to you do you think Tom Brady is leaving New England because I actually think he will he will. You know, I, the writing is on the wall, right? You know, all the signs are pointing to, to it actually happening. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a, a team that is a Tom Brady at 40 years old away from winning a Super Bowl, and the only team I can think of is the New England Patriots. I mean, yeah, yeah. why would you screw up such a good thing? Uh, I, I think whatever his reasons are, there's a chance that he looks back on it 10, 15 years down the road and says, gosh, you know, I wonder what we could have done if I stayed, if I stayed for, for one or two years. or and, and, and maybe it's, you know, not his doing. Maybe it's Belichick who wants to move in another direction. But I think that if they do split here, there, there will be regret. Yeah, I would, and it comes down to salary because I, I kind of get the feeling that, uh, you know, the thought is, okay, we'll pay Tom roughly what he was making last year, and he's always taken – I mean, for the most part, hometown discounts to be able to you know get the talent around him. And this year, they didn't give him the talent around him on offense. And so, let's say if they offer him twenty five, he's thinking, you know, I'll get thirty, thirty two, thirty three from another team like the Chargers, maybe the Raiders, maybe another team, maybe Indianapolis, and that would be the move he was going to make. Uh, but again, it's not going to put him in a position to go to the Super Bowl, and it's not going to put the Patriots in a position to go to the Super Bowl, particularly if they go with a Marcus Mariota. They trade for Andy Dalton it's like it's not going to be the same yeah no and and that's what makes me think that that ultimately it's going to work out and he's going to come back to New England I just I don't see it uh, it working out beneficially for either side and to be fair when you talk about that hometown discount we're not factoring in that the Patriots essentially started up his uh, TB12 wellness business uh, with 
you know, a, a rental space and a lease in, in Patriot Place. Nobody, nobody factors that in. How big can TB12 be? Because I think there's now some growing thought that that thing could actually hit pretty well. I, I, I think it could be huge. I mean, I, I was, I'm here in Boston right now. I mean, the cult of Tom Brady is, is as strong as it ever was. Yeah, and of course, I mean that's the that's the one thing. It's like, I mean, uh, Tom, I think is a pretty good business person. Again, I think that you know he's understood that, and of course, I mean, his name will always be associated with the Patriots. And it's like you would have to think, you know, kind of like they did in Denver with John Elway, that uh, down the line, it's like uh, Robert Kraft is going to want Tom heavily involved in the Patriots. Uh, I don't know about running the front office or things like that, but you think that uh, he's going to have such a long term thing past the end of his career in New England. Yeah, I think he'll have influence, um, but I've never got the feeling that he wanted to be heavily involved in, a, in an NFL franchise after he was done. I, you know, I, I just don't think that he's able to look at the game um, and accept mediocrity in much the way that, that people said Peyton, you know, couldn't be an executive because he couldn't really understand why people couldn't grasp the game the way he could, uh, and and it's hard to you know be that kind of person, and then also identify those kinds of people because you don't know how normal people think, and I think that that's a problem that John Elway runs uh, runs into in Denver. He sees the physical tools, and he meets a guy at at the quarterback position, but he can't evaluate whether they he has that that John Elway type of drive. Um, I, I, if if I were betting on it, I would bet Tom doesn't get very close to football when it's all over and he does concentrate on the wellness stuff and he does do some media stuff yeah i know he's going to be involved i think he's still involved in that uh, trying to get a startup type of league for developmental type uh, players i think he's going to get involved in that he'll be involved in a lot of different things but hey robert klemko thank you so much it's great to be your teammate at the washington post and thank you for joining us on schooled with the professor thanks for having me and that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor. Professor.